welcome to Advanced Neuroeducation Podcasts. Informative, interesting topics, guests, and a bit of brainstorming, and sometimes we even have a bit of fun. So, here we go. Okay, welcome back. This is Advanced Neuroeducation Podcasts. Today, we're going to have a concussion discussion. Uh, I'm pleased to say we've got a clinical lead physiotherapist at Advanced Neuro Rehab, Liz Jemson-Ledger. We are going to talk today about an issue that there's not a lot of it in the literature in terms of research, or there's not a lot of science to back this up. But as professionals working with people with concussion, it's something we deal with all the time. It's really important. And that is return to learn. Welcome, Liz. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. What's, what, what is it about return to learn? What is return to learn? What is return to learn? Yeah. That is a great, great place to start. Return to learn, I suppose in a clinical setting, we more so would probably refer to it as learning to, uh, returning to learning environments um, or academic environments. So typically we would see people you know, wanting to return back to work, school, um, uni, or just general learning environments. But basically, it's the graded approach to returning back to cognitive exertion. That's how I would probably summarize it. Um, And then we're seeing people, you know, with persistent symptoms that still need a little bit of assistance with this. Um, But a majority of the time, it's so crucial in the acute window. So we will probably touch on how uh, returning to academic load maybe prematurely can be quite um, or oh, not dangerous. That's a bit that's a bit dramatic, isn't it? But it can impact yeah, on recovery. Yeah, I've um, with the if you think about some of the research came out in Australia earlier this year about the effect of concussion on academic performance um, in young people, it's pretty alarming. So you do wonder, dangerous may well it's it's. It has a powerful effect. Yeah. And obviously we do, you keep hearing stories about people having a concussion and their trajectory changes. That was the turning point where mental health was an issue. That was a turning point where their academic started to slide and they started to struggle. Um, and so, yeah, I suppose what we, what I want to ask you is when you see a lot of these concussion patients and we deal with persistent symptoms, yeah. how does the, how do the persistent or how are the symptoms uh, and their presentation relate to learning in the school environment. Mm. What are some of the ch- challenges we've got with, say, going back to school, for example? Yeah. University? Well, when we're working with clients, I suppose we want to break down, you know, whether it be sport or cognitive environments, we want to break down those activities into the different domains that, that might be implicated. So when we're thinking about learning environments uh, in particular, we want to um, – we want to remember it's not just the cognitive load that uh, the individual might be exposed to, but we're thinking about, you know, the stimulation in the classroom. That might be the fluorescent lighting. That might be the uh, audio processing component. Um, that might also be their visual system as well. They might be having issues with accommodation or uh, convergence. So then their ability to read and and maintain concentration when they're looking at their screen uh, might be affected as well. Uh, speaking of screen, screen time is a huge uh, aggravating factor we're seeing in the concussion population. 
uh, the sensitivity to the artificial lights and, like I said, the visual system disruption and being able to, you know, implement smooth pursuit to read along lines. So when we talk about return to learn, it's not just about the cognitive overload and the cognitive fatigue side of things, but it's much more than that. We know that when the visual system, you know, it uses 70% of the white matter um, in functional brain tissue to process visual information. So it makes sense that those then with visual impairments or difficulty um, with those functions, it's going to be extremely fatiguing for that whole other mm. element as well. Um, so, yeah, I would just say just remembering all of the different domains that are introduced you know, in, say, a, a learning environment at school as well. We're thinking about with a physical exertion as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kids at recess and lunchtime, um, trying to get them to a greater return to physical activity as well. But that's all part of it. Physical activity and cognitive activity go hand in hand when we're looking at the, the stepwise approach and the return to protocols. So if you think about... Um... You know when you talk about vision there, and um, we talk about people having breaks or um, you know like cognitive breaks, but they're often brain breaks or they're often eye breaks, aren't they? Because yeah. if you think about focusing and converging for a certain point of time, mm. it's probably good to to teach them. You wouldn't think that working mm. on a laptop computer these days, like you got these students sitting there with their laptops working away for long periods of time. Mm. Um, do we is it? Teaching them about breaks, a big part of what you do? Brain breaks is probably a an exercise, I would almost call it, that I would give every single um, patient that I would see in the acute window. Um, it's almost a preventative measure as well. So we don't want to be reactive with brain breaks. We want to ensure that people aren't hitting their threshold and making their symptoms occur. We want to hit hit it before the symptoms start coming through. Yeah. Uh, so when it comes to brain breaks, exactly what you were saying, it's brain breaks, having a break from those systems that might be irritable. So yes, any visual tasks, any maybe cognitive tasks, any exposure to irritable lighting. So, you know, in the past when people might have thought about having breaks, they might have thought about, you know, going to maybe a quiet room, but then they might be on their phone or they might just not be doing schoolwork perhaps and just chatting to their friends. But within those tasks, you know, being on your phone or chatting to friends, the amount of cognition, visual functioning that's required for that, even head movement, you know, mm. if you're having a conversation with people in a group, looking between two people back and forth, that's enough to stimulate your vestibular system as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, all of those things are crucial crucial to remember. But brain breaks are huge. I would give them to to everyone, I would say, in that acute window, at least to consider. Yes. And yep. what about, um, I think about when I went to school and the environments, the, dif the different environments, different classrooms, some are brighter, louder, mm. more clanging noises, mm. um, more disruptive. Then you've got quieter environments. You've got libraries. Um I haven't been to school for a while now, so I don't know what it's like, but I imagine, imagine you'd have to consider those things. Yeah. I mean, with the recent um, guidelines that have been released and return to learn protocols, they, they break down some of the considerations for return to learn. They talk about, um, you know, adjustments that might be made to the curriculum, that they talk about environmental uh, adjustments as well, um, as well as adjustments to uh, like testing conditions or assignments. So, some of the strategies, I suppose, that that we would go through. So in clinical practice, a lot of the time, 
I will throw out my email to the teacher who's primarily uh, maybe looking after the student or even someone at a workplace um, and provide them with a list of, you know, examples on how they can implement these strategies. But when we talk about environmental adjustments that we can make, it might be, you know, if we're, t- if we're talking about return to learn in a school setting, it might be sitting in a different position in the classroom. If they've got a really irritable neck, you might want them, you know, sitting square and centre rather than having to maintain cervical rotation off to one side for an entire lesson. Um, you might be considering, yes, the lighting in the classroom. Are they going to put a blue light filter on their, on their laptop? Yeah. Um, a big one that we recommend is trying to get teachers to print out resources rather than the the child having to consistently look at their screen um, for all of the material that they need to go through. Yeah. Um, then we're also talking about um, some of the curriculum or some of the adjustments to assignments. So a big thing that has come through when they did the um, Delphi um, review of return to loan protocols, I think that was in... A couple of years ago. Yeah, a couple of years ago now. They kind of went through the the old guidelines and provided recommendations, which have also been incorporated into the recent guidelines. And they just talked about some strategies like previously there might have been extensions given for assignments, for example. But now we know that by providing extensions, it might increase more stress for the student, eat into time for then the subsequent assignment to be finished, creating more stress. And as you mentioned earlier, the stress associated with reduced academic performance is huge and the impact on mental health is, you know, sometimes absolutely detrimental, which mm. is um, extremely sad. But considering those things, they then started talking about other strategies like scaffolding assignments. So, you know, breaking it down into different segments and make maybe working out what ones were necessary, what ones weren't necessary. So then the child or the um, individual going through the learning process can tick off the you know key requirements, but they might not have to do all of the other kind of tasks surrounding it. So collaborative work with the with the teaching staff is paramount in being able to implement these strategies. And do you think um, the our role in communicating return to learn plans, um, there's some of the challenges around that. Obviously, we're dealing with people who have invisible symptoms. Do you think the teachers, with the way we communicate return to learn here? Um, understand and cater to students needs mm. or has there been any has there been any issues around not interpreting it or not quite understanding where we're coming from mm. I would say there's definitely I think what it comes down to is if the education has been provided or if it hasn't been provided so what I've what I've noticed is there are some you know teaching staff or um, you know, support people around the individual that these strategies won't get implemented. But as soon as you pick up the phone, you have a conversation with them, you describe to them what the symptoms are like for that individual, what, you know, is bringing them on and why, I feel like they're extremely receptive to making those changes and supporting them in the learning environment. So again, it comes down to education. Um, I know we do a lot of work in the community in um, Adelaide, Uh, where we go around to schools um, and we do a lot of educational presentations um, talking about things exactly like this, return to learn protocols, considerations, and just providing background information with, you know, what concussion is. We, earlier this morning, actually, we were just talking about 
you know, the difference between clinical recovery and physiological recovery. But just things like that where, you know, you were saying symptoms can be entirely invisible, um, but that doesn't mean that that individual has physiologically recovered. Mm. Um, so providing those little keynotes of education, um, I find that, yeah, usually everyone is extremely receptive. I found, so one example, um, my daughter got concussed earlier this year in gymnastics. Mm. And so then we used our return to learn strategy and, and which is clearly documented, which is available at our course, isn't it? The mm. concussion, comprehensive concussion course. Yes, yes. So you can use this return to learn, perform, and I, and I used it. Um, and it worked really well. I think the first thing it um, helped with was basically be very clear to the teachers as to what's going on and then um, the fact that we are monitoring it and we'll let them know when someone's at a certain phase of their recovery. Yeah. Um, but if not all the teachers know about it, yeah. that's when it fell down. So, for example, what um, she had a she had a test for one particular subject, and um, that teacher didn't follow the provisions um, mm -hmm. for, which would have been just some extra time, a little bit extra yeah. time. She was still struggling, particularly with um, focusing uh, visual stuff and focusing for certain periods of time. And this was probably only like week two post concussion. Yeah. Um, what a so if, if not all the teachers on board, it can fall apart a yeah. little bit. Um, and also the fact mm. you don't want, say, a year 11 or a year 12 student having to go to every teacher and saying, just remind you, I'm still in my concussion phase three rubber to learn protocols. That's a pressure that you don't want them to have to nag and, you know, you'd, you just want that out of their hands saying, yeah. you know, have the teacher aware so that this child could just go into the class, the teacher's aware um, just takes that pressure off shit because if in year twelve that, yeah. there was a lot of they don't need they don't need the extra they burden do yeah, they yeah that's right yeah I went to um, a school the other week to do um, a concussion education session and they were fantastic but they it's having these conversations because I worked out with them that they've got an internal uh, communication system so then through the conversation that we had it then prompted them to maybe change their policies within their own internal communication systems that if a child does then get concussed, it goes in that network. So then all of their stuff that, you know, would interact with that child is made aware. Yeah. So that's where I think, you know, concussion is evolving and it's growing, but it's these collaborative discussions that then spark these other changes that need to happen in, because I think when it comes to schools, there's so many internal policies that, you know, we need to consider yeah, yeah. Um, as well. So that's a great, yeah, a great point and a kind of hindrance, I suppose, with where we can hit some. Well, they're in bump. They're all different, are they? Schools. Some of them yeah. have a communications of it. Some of them have a. There may be a key worker yeah. that, that operates. Um, yeah. Some of them have a partial care group that they're part of, and that that's the person that takes charge of their communicating that mm. to their teachers. Mm. So it is. Also, you have to find out how the school operates. Yeah. Or, and and figure out in their system what's the best way. Mm. Another. No. Yeah. Another thing as well is. You know, in the guidelines, they do say that not not everyone is going to need a return to learn strategy. Mm -hmm. um, I think the most important thing, and again, in, in clinical practice, usually I still, every single patient I see, I still provide education around the graded return to cognitive yeah. activity. Yeah. Uh, even if they're maybe not exhibiting signs of symptom exacerbation with cognitive activity, I do just like to inform them. The other thing as well is in school environments, you know, detecting 
you know, signs of maybe cognitive fatigue or irritation with cognitive exertion. I know that, you know, we have to do a good job at informing teachers signs and symptoms of what to look for. Yeah. And it can sometimes be really tricky. Yeah. You know, it might be kids acting out um, because they can't communicate that, you know, they're not feeling right in the head or they're feeling foggy. Instead, they might just become super irritable and their behaviour. Yeah. 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 And that happens a lot. Huh? Yeah. 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 Well, and the other, I was trying to think the other issue is if they, um, if they have symptoms, it's a bit like with return to play too. If they do have symptoms and they are getting headachy or they seem slightly dizzy or foggy, um, we also got to educate that clearly to, don't we? So they don't catastrophize about yeah. it. They don't get overly anxious thinking yeah. they're relapsing or yeah. they're, you know, they're really brain damaged and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you're slightly symptomatic, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean you have to completely stop. Do yeah. It. Yeah. The recent guidelines, I think they did a great job at object, um, objectively giving us more scope around how much we can push people. So now they've said, um, you know, you don't want any more than a mild increase in symptoms. So, for example, more than a two out of ten. Yep. So it's almost informing individuals as well that you might expect there to be, you know, a, a subtle increase in your symptoms. That's completely normal yeah. as they start to get back to things. But we're just not wanting to jump into that moderate to severe yeah. increase in symptoms. But absolutely, I think it's it's good to normalise that their journey recovering from a concussion might be a little bit up and down. They might notice that they do get symptom exacerbation, um, you know, when they're doing, you know, for some people it will be more visual tasks, for some it will be more physical exertion. But that's all part of the process of us working out what are those factors and just implementing that graded stepwise stepwise approach. So what about the people who say, you know, you've got your return to learn strategies, you work through that, then you've got your return to play strategies after that. Is that the way to do it or do we uh, – I'm thinking now it's more of a combination of return to learn because mm. a lot of you are playing sport. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's this combination yeah. simultaneously. Yeah, simultaneously. Yeah. They would go hand in hand. You know, we're trying to – the mechanisms behind cognitive exertion and physical exertion are different and when you're in that physiological window, you know, we are mainly focusing on the generalised recovery just from the metabolic injury of concussion. And I think we just need to remember, you know, the holistic approach that, you know, it's not one thing and then the other, it usually goes hand in hand. So, um, yeah, I would definitely recommend them to kind of coincide. So usually I'll go through both protocols for return to learn as well as return to physical activity. Yeah. Um, And they might move at different paces. So I know we see a lot of clients as well, especially ones with, you know, a significant medical history of migraines or multiple concussions that for them, their cognition and their tolerance to cognitive activity might be completely fine. But then, you know, out in the schoolyard or, you know, when they go for a run after work, then all of a sudden their symptoms go through the roof and then you work out it's because they've got exercise intolerance, for example. Therefore, you might have to then, you know, modify their program and give them more parameters to kind of work with, but then you're not going to be modifying necessarily their cognitive load. Yeah. So you've just got to clinically reason, I suppose, what are the limiting factors for that? It was really interesting talking about, you know, the difference between physical activity and cognitive activity because we um, have, and this is in our course as well, we we spoke about that study. I think that was a couple of years ago as well, the Ivy League um, epidemiology study where they did a multi-site 
um, study across some of the Ivy League colleges in America. I think there was over 1,700 athletes and they profiled um, these athletes. It was a prospective um, study mm-hmm. and they profiled these athletes and then looked at the ones who, you know, took the longest to gain medical clearance and return to sport. And the population that took the longest to recover was the population that returned to full academic load first. Yeah. So before, I suppose, when I was throwing around the word dangerous, when we think about, you know, returning to academic load, you know, too early perhaps or a full academic load, I suppose it does have, you know, those implications where it can really impact on people's recovery. And it's something I think in the the past that's really been overlooked, but returning to cognitive activity can have detrimental effects on people's yeah you know, absolutely return journey. I, remember, I remember i had a student earlier this year probably in year 11 um she'd had a concussion playing australian rules football um we did a vestibular ocular objective tests um with the neuroinflect which showed lo- lots of abnormalities mm. which is you know a little bit al- alarming often when you see them acutely but they they do get better but anyway that prompted me as a conscientious year 11 student to say okay um it's day it's it's only day seven say post concussion i am um, your eyes i think you need to follow up with your eyes and i referred them to the orthoptist mm. and then the orthoptist promptly then referred to the neuro ophthalmologist from what yeah. she saw and then gave her the some eye drops which mm. were i think they're cycloplegia drops or something like this because her eyes were in spasm yeah and literally within four or five hours after having the drops um she just felt fine and then suddenly, within 24 hours, she's back, started studying again. And I just wonder what her trajectory would have been like if her eyes remained in spasm, the anxiety would remain. Yeah. She would still have trouble doing any any work on her computer. Um, we, we harp on about early interventions, but that was an early intervention that was new Absolutely. to me. And transdisciplinary care, we harp on about that as well. But that, how is that, like, you know, a prime example for you having the understanding to detect that maybe there was a you know, a visual system issue that needed further intervention. The optometrist yeah. then realising that this was the film for the neuro-ophthalmologist. Yeah. I feel like that really highlights the importance of early intervention, yeah. transdisciplinary care and being educated in what else is out there um, to make those calls because that would have, yeah, significantly led to positive outcomes. It was huge. Yeah. Here's another dilemma. Yeah. So I had um, a, an, another young girl football injury. Australian was football tends to wear concussion in, in girls is a, bit, is a big issue. Yeah. So um, she, uh, she, I'd heard on the grapevine, this is a, fr- a friend of a friend, um, and they said, go and see, go and see James McLaughlin and, and get assessed. And, and I said, yeah, yeah, you can come. Now, the school nurse said, no, you don't go and see a physiotherapist. You've got to go and see your GP. That, and I've got no clue with that. You've got to go and see your GP. That's fine. Yeah. But, um, and then there's um, <laughs> this person saying, well, James and the team there will help you with it. She's in year 12. Mm. James will uh, help you with a return to learn plan for school. And the school nurse says, no, physiotherapists do not do return to learn plans. You've got to go see a GP. So that's an issue. Where where do we go? Where do we... Where do we move with that, with an awareness of the role as allied health practitioners, as physiotherapists in concussion? Um, yeah, what is that? Yeah, yeah. As so a school nurse, for someone at the school, this this particular student was a boarder. Mm. Um, how do we, you know we've got a, we've got still got a long way to go, don't we? Explaining mm. our role. Do you know what I feel like as physiotherapist, not even as physiotherapist, but generally the industry, we need to evolve 
with concussion. And as physiotherapists, we need to be able to adapt. And I feel, you know, our clinic does a fantastic job at, you know, we no longer are just um, physical therapists where we're, you know, say treating the neck and because of our vestibular background, maybe doing vestibular rehab. We've now transitioned to be this coordinating role. And I would say that as physiotherapists, we've moved into this really significant role in the space of concussion management. You know, we can have the ability to manage the physical exertion side of things, exercise tolerance, the cervical spine, but also being able to screen for, you know, mental sides of mental health um, struggles or difficulties. So then we can refer on to psychologists or being able to coordinate care and reach out to schools to do these return to learn um, policies or having the educational discussions with parents. I feel like we're quite blessed where we've got a little bit more perhaps um, time in our treatment sessions. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the time they'll be going to GPs, but they've got such limited time. I feel sorry for GPs. Yeah. I do not yeah. know. I do not know how they would cover anything. That's, yeah. If you look at the new scope assessment, you know, the oh. GPs could do from what was it, 72 hours up to my yeah. heart post. Concussion. How many pages uh, is that? It still looks daunting yeah. for a GP. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I suppose if we can make GP's life easier, and I think that's a big focus of your brain health is really making, particularly the Australian model, uh, making the GP's life easier by saying, hey, look, we'll, we've done some assessments here for you mm. and here's a nice little report of what's going on um, and keep that key person, mm. GP, informed about things like mental health and sleep and um, you know any any other issues because they they may be the referral they may be the one referring to neurologists to mm. to manage migraines and things like that yeah um, but we still got a long way to go don't we yeah we have to get our marketing and education yeah. spot on I no absolutely but I feel you know some people will be quite perplexed and confused as to you know why would they come and see you know neurophysios for example when they need medical you know from a medical legal standpoint um, mm. you know medical clearance to return to gameplay mm-hmm. why come and see us if they need to go to their gp anyway to get that and we can't provide that and i think what you've said summarizes exactly the the change in the pathway of care that needs to happen is you know people absolutely come and see us so we can do the detailed assessments so then we can inform the gp or the healthcare practitioners of the assessment findings to help them make a educated decision on the, you know, the safety for that individual returning to contact sport, for example. Um, and yeah, just informing their decision. Cause I feel like we, you know, we've got the luxury of perhaps having a little bit more time to do those thorough assessments. So I say, you know, let's work as a team to us, you know, help build the foundation of, of nutting out what the, you know, what the issues are, how all of the systems are working, doing our multimodal approach and then passing that information on working collaboratively with the with the GP to help inform their decision. And I would say that clinically we do that quite well. We've got quite a few great relationships with um, GPs and sports docs, for example, around yeah. SA. Um, and it works really well just providing those summary letters with with our assessment findings. Absolutely. Mm. So I suppose for, uh, you know, if we sort of wrap it up to think about you know, we've we've and you've developed some good return to learn um, strategies and uh, documents that we can use through advanced your education. Yeah. Um, uh, through through your brain health, we're doing a lot more education with schools, both at the student level. I'm going to find that interesting actually when the when the students start saying to the teachers, "Hey, you're supposed to give me provisions for my concussion," yeah. because the students become more aware now. Give them more time of how it works. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, and and the idea for the the parents, teachers, coaches, uh, education standpoint, um, and to understand some of those symptoms and things to look out for in, in the students. Yeah. Um, we could probably revisit this later and, and probably look at how we've maybe progressed in that area or mm. maybe it'd be really good to talk to some of the teachers that we've now been able to yeah, be great. to work with to see yeah. how uh, schools have managed to do this um, in their concussion protocols more yeah. more successfully. Absolutely. I think the implementation of this as well would be a whole other ball game as well. You know, we're all really yeah. good to say, you know, this child needs to have brain breaks, but then good luck with you know, some of the kids out there might really struggle to switch off and calm down. So, yeah, exactly. It would be good to see, you know, theoretically this is all great and these are what the recommendations are, but how, yeah, how are they going implementing them and what are the barriers? Because then we can obviously have these conversations, make it make yep. it run smoother. Yeah. Very good. All right. What are we going to talk about next summer for in relation to concussion discussions? Oh, there are so many options, aren't I there? Oh, I know what we're going to talk about. The, the Australian Parliament Senate inquiry or inquiry yes. do you say inquiry or inquiry inquiry i say inquiry okay let's go with that yeah we'll go inquiry uh, inquiry um so a couple of weeks ago they came back with 13 recommendations um around concussion in collision sports so i think we can go through 13 recommendations and think what do we think and what also what are we doing um in relation to those out uh, those recommendations because um that's got a a good bit of political clout as to some yeah. things that should change in this space. Yeah, absolutely. All righty. Love it. So cool. we'll say ciao for now. Ciao. Have a great <laughs> weekend. See ya. See ya. Bye.